Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your hosts, Chris Jennings and Dr. Mike Brazier. All right, today's topic is one that has stemmed from really consistent questions that I've had, you know, come through the website, uh, on social media, um, even just random people that know that I talk to say, oh yeah, you work for Ducks Unlimited and they'll shoot this question. And and so I've got my co-host, Dr. Mike Brazier here to answer all of these super scientific scientific questions. And the main question is, do ducks and geese mate for life? The answer is no and yes. No, now it's clear. <laughs> the, the answer is never no and yes in questions of, of nature. We'll start there. All right. No, th- but mating systems waterfowl is an incredibly fascinating topic to me. Uh, I was actually able to study it a little bit with my, my master's research. We're investigating a... Um, social behaviors of paired and unpaired male mallards during the breeding season. I think we had an earlier episode on that. Uh, but it exposed me to a little a little bit of, of the mating systems of waterfowl. And this is something that occasionally, if you go back through the DU Magazine archives, you'll find some articles about this, and I've written one. And so uh, generally what we see in waterfowl, and I have to say generally because the moment you start saying one, you, you lay out some situation the way it is, you can immediately find an exception yeah, to that. And that's what makes this really fascinating to understand and explain why these differences may occur. So at the most basic level, and let's just talk about North American species for right now. Ducks are what we refer to as seasonally monogamous. Uh, and, and that means that it's one male and one female monogamous. But the seasonal aspect means that those pair bonds are intact for only about six to eight months a year. And it varies among species, the length of those pair bonds and the timing of when they initiate. But so, so And you're ex- saying like six to eight months is probably a mallard. Yeah, probably closer to eight months on a mallard, I okay. would say. There's some of the I'm earlier, just trying to give people yeah, broad. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, and it's going to be different for every species. Right. But. So, so by and large for ducks, we're talking seasonal monogamy, one male, one female. Those pair bonds are in place for only six to eight months a year. Those pair bonds break. And then in most duck species, they don't repair with the same mate the following year. Now, we can we can contrast this pretty starkly with geese and swans and even black-bellied whistling ducks, which are bigger in body size. And there's some there's a relationship there with what, what they do. They are what's known as perennially monogamous. They're monogamous, one male, one female, and the perennial aspect means that they mate for life. So geese and swans and whistling ducks mate for life. Ducks in North America, uh, it's one male and one female, but, uh, but, but those pairs break every year with, with some exceptions. There are some species, notably in, in some of the, uh, the golden eyes, some of the sea ducks, I um, believe it's harlequin ducks or long-tailed ducks, uh, there are uh, some fairly well-documented cases of the same male and female pairing back with one another the following year. Uh, and so, so basically what happens, let's just sort of play this out as yeah. we go through the through a, a typical fall and winter period. And let's talk about ducks because geese aren't all that – and swans aren't all that exciting from a dynamic you know, mating system strat, uh, perspective because you know it's the same male-female year-round. Yeah. The 
for a, for a duck, you know, this time of year, uh, we're recording this in early December, uh, some duck species, mallards, pintails, black ducks are, uh, and gadwall even, are actively in the courtship phase. Yeah. They've completed their, their uh, by and large, completed their molt. They're now in their bright bre breeding plumage, or if not, they're nearly so. There's a lot of courtship going on out there. The males are trying to pair up with the females. And so those pair bonds will develop, and those pair bonds will continue into, uh, into the spring. The males will follow the females back to the breeding grounds. The females are the ones that are more what we call phytopatric, means they go back to their natal mm -hmm. breeding site more so than, than the males. So the males are just following the females around. The males are just following the females around. And here's a little well, slight deviation from the story is that ducks are really unique in this regard from a lot of other bird species and a lot of your songbirds. It's the males that are phytopatric to the breeding sites. The males go back first in, the, in these little songbirds. They go back first, establish territories, and then they defend those territories, and they're, they're trying to select territories that are of high quality and, um, and food resources, breeding sites, and so forth. And so then the females go back, migrate separately from the males. Again, we're talking songbirds here. And, uh, and, and the males try to attract the females to their, their breeding sites. So it's, ducks are different in that respect, in that the females are the ones that are phytopatric. And that is, that, that has a, that plays a role in the, the mating systems of, of ducks. So anyway, we're, we're back to the, the progression through the winter. They go back north to the, to the, the female's breeding site. Uh, the male generally defends, uh, male ducks display some sort of loose territoriality where they defend an area around the female. They're not necessarily vigorously defending the habitat uh, where, where the, the female is. It's, it's, and there's variation here too, so we don't need to get into all those specifics. But uh, as the female goes, proceeds into incubation, starts laying her eggs and completes the clutch of egg. It's around the time when she lays that last egg and begins to incubate that their pair bond begins to weaken. And the male will gradually start to wander a little bit farther from where that female is. Now, he doesn't completely abandon her. Typically, again, just speaking generally, he doesn't typically abandon her immediately upon laying that final egg. He will kind of, he's, he's sort of balancing his... Um, his interest. He wants to stay close enough to that female such that if she loses that nest to predation or weather, flooding, whatever the case may be, chances are she's going to try to re-nest. He wants to be there close enough so that he can be uh, that. That's why he's he sticking can, Right. And so uh, as the female is, one of the other things that you see is as the females are laying their eggs, they're, whenever they're laying their eggs, they, they go to the nest and they lay the egg in the morning typically and then they're there for a few hours and then they they're off the nest for the rest of the day. They go back and hang out with that male. So they're maintaining that pair bond. Then once she lays that final egg, begins to incubate, she's on the nest the majority of the day from that point forward, the male begins to sort of pursue other opportunities. Mm -hmm. The longer into incubation she goes, the weaker that pair bond gets. And he eventually gets to a point where he might try what's called an extra pair copulation. He may try to find another female. He could either, uh, the other female could, uh, could participate in that willingly, but more commonly it's something called forced copulation, which uh, you know, also can be called rape. And, and it, it can be, be kind of 
very unpleasant for the female. In some extreme cases, it can actually um, lead to the death of the female because you see a lot of these males whose females are off incubating. That's kind of the situation that, so. where you see four or five males chasing, vigorously chasing, chasing female. a female and yeah. driving her and sort of corralling her to the ground. There's, yeah, it's it's not a not a pleasant thing. Yeah, nature's not always nice. It's, it's not, and so that, uh, but. But the extra pair paternity is one of the things that that's called when you have young or eggs in the nest that are fathered by different males. That's fairly common in ducks, uh, certainly in in northern hemisphere. You see that a little bit. You see this extra pair copulation a little bit in geese, but not so much if you think about it because the male is there with the female all through incubation, the male actually helps with the parental care, provides yeah. parental care for the goslings. And the, one of the other questions that I, that I oftentimes get is, well, why don't the males help care for male ducks, help care for the ducklings? And the simplest way to kind of work that through your mind is to think about, well, what does, what can a male duck really do? Like you go up and try to approach a goslings, a, a, a brood of goslings, and the male and female are that. I mean, those are big birds. Yeah. They can beat the crap out of you. So their, their, their presence can actually be very effective at preserving their investment. It can defend in that, in the, that, in the goslings. Right. Where the, a goose or a duck, it doesn't really hit. Right. Their best chance is to stay hidden, not be seen type approach. Not not the male, but the female. That's Rather right. than have the male stand out front like a big Canada goose. That's right. And and male ducks in general, and there are some exceptions in general in northern northern hemisphere here, are um, they're brightly colored. They attract attention to themselves and that's exactly what the female doesn't want. And the male's not very effective at warding off predators for a brood or for the a nesting hen or anything. So there's not a whole lot to be gained by that. Uh, and it's not as simple as that because a lot of other factors yeah. that influence that. And there are some there are some ducks that are perennially monogamous, like swans and geese. Not in North America, but uh, in, in in some extreme cases, they're highly specialized ducks, like uh, and they're usually associated with very uh, limited habitats, uh, like uh, stream dwelling ducks are the best example where you can actually have some. Torrent ducks and blue duck, uh, African black duck, I think, they actually do pair for life. The other thing that uh, – No, no, hold on. Let me <laughs> clarify this uh, because when it's you say lot, pair It's a lot for, to yeah, unpack know, here. This is. Um, so when you say pair for life, so we're yeah. saying geese pair yeah. for life. Yeah. Um, what happens when a fox eats that goose? Good question. So does the male – like let's say the fox eats the male. Does that female goose just wander around aimlessly and never raise another brood again? No. Th there are instances of mate loss in ducks and geese, mm -hmm. and swans. You know, it, it happens. It happens due to harvest. It happens due to natural mortality, as you described. And in in nearly all the, the – I can't say nearly all the cases, but basically it's it's – readily documented that those individuals will repair yeah yeah the bird's not going to be so heartbroken that it goes through the rest of its mm -hmm. life unpaired now there are some consequences to mate loss uh, there's been some work i believe it was brant that showed i can't remember if it was the female maybe it was the females whose male mate was shot they repaired sometimes rather quickly but they suffered reduced survival as a consequence of that presumably because of the additional costs associated with the process of repairing because it's it's you know they're being courted and chased and having to find a male and all yeah it's not uh, it's it's not 
they can't just pull out the Tinder app, you know, and just do whatever <laughs> they do there. Be the first to know when ducks are on the move. Sign up for DU's waterfowl migration email alerts and receive ongoing in-depth updates on the latest habitat conditions, weather changes, and hunting reports for your flyway. Visit ducks.org slash migration alerts. For ducks, when we talk about mate loss, this is another area. A lot of times you think about mating systems. What in the world does this have to do with waterfowl conservation, waterfowl management? Actually has a a lot to do with it when you start talking about the consequences of mate loss as as uh, as results from harvest that's one of the reasons why frameworks don't get probably the primary reason why frameworks right now don't go any farther than the end of january is because if, when you start going into february there's a cost there's a real cost to those females losing that male mate into february because they want to get back to the breeding ground as soon as they can initiate that nest as soon as they can because early nesting is consistently correlated with higher productivity which relates to persistence of wetlands throughout mm-hmm. the summer uh, the later you go uh, the later you go the more likely it is that the wetlands are going to dry out and your brood's going to yeah. be left high and dry and uh, so uh, there are real management implications to these these uh, an understanding of mating systems of waterfowl, and that kind of leads me to you know as you're discussing the very scientific uh, aspects of this, and I'm approaching this as you know a duck hunter. What am I seeing in late December, mid January? I mean, I hunted Mississippi for the last seven or eight years, and um, it was guaranteed that by like January 10th, I had pintail courtship flights Mm -hmm. over our blinds. People were like, oh, look at those flocks of pintails. And like, it was literally courtship flights. And people didn't understand that that's, that these birds are actually setting the precedence for the breeding season now. And it's during hunting season. Yes. Um, And then also, you know, we modify our tactics to follow this behavior. Mm -hmm. And I think duck hunters don't really understand some of the things that we do are actually related directly to waterfowl behavior and the life cycle of waterfowl, as in, you know, these late season tactics that mm-hmm. we talk about with, uh, um, you know, less calling, less decoys, you know, sometimes getting off the beaten path to find these small little pockets of water. But what you're actually doing is you're setting it up for a pair bonding scenario yep. to get away from the crowds. You're attracting, you know, these male and sometimes female ducks into a smaller body of water that typically would be reserved for, you know, a a pair bonding situation. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's one thing that hunters may not really understand what they're doing as far as following the life cycle of of ducks. Absolutely. And that's why a a hen mallard decrescendo can be deadly for a lone drake mallard that's cruising above you. Uh, You can stomp on the brakes and set the wings you know hundreds of yards high if he hears that it's because he's he's getting desperate he's looking it's, for that. it's later in the season he's getting close to that close to that breeding season and he's and there's a male bias sex ratio more males than females so some of the guys are going to be left out come come breeding season um and uh, so yeah that's that's pretty pretty cool to be able to understand what the birds are going through with at that time and to use it to your advantage as a uh, as a hunter in, yeah. in our case. The other thing that I that will uh, caveat there is that just remember that the timing of that pair formation varies among species. 
mallards, black ducks, pintails, gadwalls. Those are some of your earlier pairing species. Divers typically pair later, and again, that relates to some of their foraging behavior. And the divers are always out there doing weird stuff anyway. Well, so. interestingly enough, one of the hypotheses there is about, for why divers pair later is that how do they feed? They dive. Well, when they dive, the male and female can't really see one another. So it becomes more difficult for the male to effectively stay with the female and defend her from other males that may be trying to yeah. pair with her. So if you're a male, it's like, I need to just wait until I get closer to the breeding season, to the breeding grounds. Otherwise, I'm risking pairing and getting, you know, losing track of this female. And so something as simple as that is one of the hypotheses that I've seen for why divers pair later. Um, Teal are another species that pair later. That's really interestingly enough. That's is believed to be related to their inability to carry back to the breeding grounds as many nutrient reserves as a larger bodied species. So they don't pair until they get back up to the prairies or they're on their way back yeah. up. Yeah, it's all bet hedging type things. You yeah. don't want to wait too late, but then you don't want to be too early too because it's of no good. One because one of the advantages of a hen being paired in the in the in the winter is that she has access to better resources. You know, it's been it's been demonstrated many times that pairs are dominant to, to lone, lone birds, unpaired birds. Uh, and so a female wants to have access, wants to have that protection, but that protection is only valuable if that female is of sufficient structural size in order to take advantage of those nutritional resources and carry them back to the, to the breeding grounds with her. And that's one point. So, you know, that brings it full circle, really all the way back to habitat on the ground. I know yeah. Clay, our awesome podcast podcast producer, and I, we went up to Nebraska a few years back. And there's, I don't think, in my opinion, there's probably anywhere greater to watch courtship flights than in Nebraska in March yeah. in the Rainwater yep. Basin. Uh, just, you know, nearly every species that you can imagine up there. You've got redheads, you've got uh, pintails, you know, gadwall. They're all, you can see these courtship you know, different courtship variations. And it's a very impressive sight. Yeah. But that's March. And now you're halfway, well, probably three quarters of the way back to the breeding grounds, halfway from some for sure. And the importance of that habitat there, that stopover country is what we've used in reference to that rainwater basin area and how, you know, you'll have these tiny wetlands that will have 10,000 pintails on it. Yeah. And it's very impressive. And that's, you know, kind of like you were talking about there, now you're talking about the nutrients and can they get that spring migration, the fulfillment that they need from the habitat to make that full, you know, migration all the way back to the breeding grounds to then get into their yeah. courtship behavior. So yeah. it's in a, it's a, you know, it all comes full circle right yeah. there. It's, it's one of the most fascinating aspects of waterfowl uh, biology uh, and, and ecology that uh, to me, you know, and, and I'll leave you with this. Um, one of the other sort of correlates to a, to mating systems in waterfowl, we described how geese and swans and whistling ducks pair for life. Then we described how dabbling ducks, dot ducks, are, are seasonally monogamous. What's the other? What's the big difference between those groups when you talk about geese, swans, whistling ducks versus your your, your dabblers and divers, other ducks? Physical, Plumage. exactly. Yeah. The it's what it, technically it's called. Uh, it's it's kind the ducks when you have a male and female that are have different plumage. It's uh, sexual dichromatism. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, the males and females are different color. The birds that pair for life: ducks, uh, geese, swans, whistling ducks. The males and females 
are similar in appearance. They're yeah. monochromatic. They don't need that flamboyant look to That's attract right. a man. That's right. But or just a female, as I should say. But just as I said, there are always exceptions. Think about model ducks. Hmm. Think about black ducks. That's right. They're sexually monochromatic. Males and females are similar in appearance, with some differences. You know the 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 bill coloration. So there are always exceptions and other other examples out there that require you to delve a little bit deeper and ask the question: Well, why did it? Why did those? Why did the males and females develop similar coloration patterns in that duck species, but not all these others? So it's a really fascinating area, uh, both just from a general understanding of waterfowl biology, but as you pointed out, it has very real. Uh, much of this discussion has very real application to where and why uh, and what time we deliver the habitat conservation or need the habitat on the ground to, to benefit these birds. And so hopefully we'll have an opportunity in the future to delve into some of these individual topics in a lot more detail with yeah. some, some other experts that we bring on. Because it's one thing to read about it. It's another thing to study it in, in, entirely. And I know there are some folks out there that can help us with some of these conversations. So it's pretty cool. Awesome. Look forward to it. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thanks for dumping this uh, vast amount of waterfowl mating systems knowledge on us. My pleasure. Um, I'm sure the audience will uh, benefit from it. Uh, Special thanks to our producer, Clay Baird. Does an awesome job getting the podcast out to our audience. And special thanks to you, our audience, for supporting wetlands conservation and listening to the DU Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks.